Amen. Those are great words, great prayer as we come to hear the preaching of God's Word. Speaking of preaching, what are you going to be doing for the next 45 minutes? Now that's kind of a loaded question. We're talking about preaching. Sorry, my notes are a little disorganized here. Don't mind me. Talking about preaching, what are we actually doing and why? Why is our service oriented around this time where one person talks to everybody else for 45 minutes? Is this just a ritual that we have to go through on a regular basis to keep up our, our merits? Is this the vanity of the preacher? You guys need to listen to me every once in a while or every week. Do we have nothing else to do so we just keep repeating the Bible because that's all we know? And why do we orient the life of our church around these weekly meetings where the focus is the preaching of God's Word? Why, why does the church preach when other religions don't? Other religions and their religious services, the focus is not uh, exposition or oration. The focus is mainly on rituals and recitation. I grew up in a, another church tradition, uh, another, called itself a Christian church, but the worship services were very different than this. Before, before we came to Calvary, I didn't really know what a sermon was. My, my exposure to sermons was about 10 minutes of talking about general Bible stuff, you know, something you might read out of guideposts or chicken soup for the soul. That's about the amount of preaching that was done at this other church. But that's, that's not what we do here. Why do we invest time in stating propositional truths? This is true. That is not true. You should do this. You should not do that. When that's not what our world is about right now. Do people have attention spans for this anymore? You might be asking yourself that right now. Can I keep up with this guy for 45 minutes? So much is being said these days about uh, our next generation having a smaller attention span. How many people can sit down and read a book or even a long-form article? What's going to happen here? In our day and age, preaching has come to mean repeatedly saying something to someone that they don't want to hear. Is that what this is? Am I just going to repeatedly say something to you that you don't want to hear? I hope not. Well, what does preaching actually do for the church? We look here in our study through the book of Acts, why, right after the Spirit was sent and the body of believers was joined together, was there preaching? And why do we see this throughout the book of Acts? If you're with me in the book of Acts, we'll be in chapter 2. And when we look here and throughout the rest of the book of Acts, as I mentioned, we see this not very surprising fact that the church preaches the gospel. No surprise. In the book of Acts, there are 30, sorry, excuse me, 42 different sermons mentioned. 30 of those are, are summaries of when someone preached here to this people or preached about this thing. There are 10 actual lengthy descriptions of sermons preached. Two from Jesus, one from Stephen, 
four from Paul and five from Peter. This one we're going to look at today in chapter two is Peter's first and maybe his best sermon. Also, not surprisingly, our church highly values the preaching of God's word. And I just wanted to take the time to just say thank you for that, to commend our church that, that we highly value the preaching of God's word. We, we saw that just in the surveys we got back a few weeks ago. The high expectation we have for our next preacher to be a preacher of God's word. That's his primary responsibility. But when we look here, um, a lot of us know sermons. A lot of us have, have listened to hundreds or thousands of sermons. Maybe you haven't. Maybe this is your first or tenth. But whatever, let's ask these questions. What is happening when someone preaches? And that's going to help us answer the question, why do we preach? We know what's happening. We know that those, that's why we're doing it. We want those effects. We want those results, or at least God wants those effects and results in our church. First of all, we see right from the get-go when we get into Peter's sermon is that preaching is explaining scripture. It doesn't take long for Peter to get into an explanation of scripture. He he stands up in response to this accusation that the disciples were drunk because they had been filled with the Holy Spirit. And he, he challenges that accusation right away, but it doesn't take him long to then immediately go to scripture. He starts preaching in verse 14, and by verse 17, he's quoting the book of Joel. And he, he quotes three different places in the Old Testament. He quotes the book of Joel chapter 2 in verse 17 on down to 21. And then over in verse 25, he gets into Psalm 16. And then later on, he gets into Psalm 110. Everything he says is focused on scripture and he explains it. He, he makes, he, he answers their accusation and then he goes into explaining what all these things mean what the coming of the Holy Spirit is supposed to be like, how that's tied to Jesus, why Jesus died and then rose again. We see this not just in Peter's sermon here, but everywhere else in Scripture. When Paul preaches, it says, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures in Acts 17. And in Acts 18, he powerfully refuted the Jews, showing by the Scriptures that Christ was Jesus. Not a surprise, hopefully, that preaching means explaining Scripture. Hopefully you notice, as I've described that, you've also known that explaining Scripture is directly tied to Jesus Christ. When Peter preaches here, he answers their accusation, and then he immediately pivots toward Jesus. He talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit, and then in the next breath, he is talking about who the Messiah is. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works. Verse 23, this Jesus. And when he speaks of Jesus, he goes straight for the good news. He goes straight for what we call the gospel. Verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified, bold thing to say, you were guilty, you killed by the hands of lawless men, the death of Jesus Christ. 
Not something he had to explain too much there. They were very much in their recent memory. This is just a few weeks later. But he goes straight for this good news. But he doesn't stop with the death of Jesus Christ. We know from other places in, in Scripture why the death of Jesus Christ is so important. The death of Jesus Christ was the payment for others' sins. It was an atoning sacrifice. It absorbed the wrath that our sins deserve so that those who turn to faith in Christ have no condemnation. So when Jesus died on the cross, he beat the consequences of sin. It was a victory over sin. But it didn't stop there. The very next verse, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jesus' death was a victory over sin, over sin. It was followed up by the resurrection, which was a victory over death, the, the main enemy of the believer, the, the major consequence of sin that we have. It was not possible for him to be held by death because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Throughout Scripture, the death and the resurrection of Christ are the focal point of the preaching of God's word. Sometimes it's spoken in shorthand. Paul even does this. He says, I preach Christ and him crucified, which doesn't mean he only preaches the death and not the resurrection of Christ. That's not what he's meaning. He's just summarizing the good news. Jesus Christ crucified. But our hope in the good news is bound up in those two facts, the death and the resurrection of Christ. Why are those so important? Again, Peter answers this in another sermon, Acts chapter 4, verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is the only good news that the church has to offer. Jesus' death and resurrection. And this is the focal point of preaching. When we explain scriptures, the focal point is the death and resurrection of Christ. This magnifies Christ. We put Christ on display. We proclaim him. We announce the good news. This is the good news of what Jesus has done. Jesus died for your sins and he was raised again. You can have hope in that. As a preacher, if I only explain the scriptures and I don't put Christ on display, if I don't proclaim Christ and announce the good news of what he's done, I've not done my job. If I only explain the scriptures, oh, this is what that Greek word means, and oh, here's an interesting verse here, and there's a cross-reference over there, and this is what happened in 3rd century Palestine. If I only explain facts, but I don't get to Christ, I'm not doing my job. I've not given you the best of what God's word has to offer you. When we talk about God's word magnifying Christ, it has this aspect, as I mentioned, of proclaiming, announcing the good news. But also directly tied to that is another aspect of persuading, of, of reasoning, and calling for a response. It's not just announcing this is the good news. It's saying, please heed these truths. Please Respond, repent, 
Turn in faith. That's what we see Peter doing. Verse 38, after explaining the scriptures, who Jesus was, what he had done, verse 38, Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. And on down into verse 40, With many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Throughout the rest of the book of Acts in the New Testament, when there's preaching going on, and God's word is being explained, and then the gospel is being proclaimed, there are words that are used like persuading, reasoning. John MacArthur summarized it this way. He said, preaching is for the sake of persuasion. It is to change people's minds. It is to change how people think. It is to change what they believe. To persuade the hearers of the truth in such a way that they see the reasonableness of it. They see the inescapable reality of it. And they embrace the truth of it. When the word of God is preached, it's an invitation to the listener to say, think these things. Know these truths. Believe this. Turn in faith to these things. So I'll say it again on another level. If I explain the scriptures, and even if I proclaim and magnify Christ, but if I don't call for a response to you, then I'm not doing my job. The good news requires a response. And for some of you, for the first time, the response might be that you repent of your sins and you turn in faith to Jesus Christ. That he has paid for your sins and he can make you new again. If Jesus is building a church of witnesses, and if you were with me last week, you remember us talking about that from Acts 1, you will be my witnesses. This is what we're supposed to be witnesses to. This is the good news that we proclaim. This is our banner. This is the banner the church holds high. When Peter preached this way, there were some amazing results. We see right away, verse 40, those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. We saw last week that perhaps the early church at that point was maybe 500. It's multiplying, it's growing, down in verse 47. And the Lord added their number day by day, those who were being saved. As God's word was preached, people responded in faith, and the church grew. We see, though, in the book of Acts, that preaching happened as believers continued to gather. Preaching was not just targeted at outsiders with the intent to convert them and add them to the church. Preaching happened to outsiders, unbelievers, and believers alike. In every audience where there's a sermon preached in Acts, there are believers there listening. The word is for believers. The word to be preached, the gospel to be preached, is for believers. We see Paul summed this up really well in Colossians, writing later. He said in Colossians 1.28, Him we proclaim, Jesus, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. He's speaking there of three things. He said, we're teaching everyone with wisdom. That's the explaining the scriptures we talked about. He said, Him we proclaim, Jesus, warning everyone, there's that exhortation, there's that persuading, respond in faith. Then this last phrase, 
that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Preaching is for the believer's growth. It is intended to grow the individual believer and the body of Christ. There's this target in mind. There's an end goal. Completeness, maturity, Christ-likeness. And part of the role of being a witness of Jesus is to be like Jesus. Not just to know facts about him, but to be like him. Not to stay like the world we are saved out of. Not to be like the world that we are calling sinners out of, but to change and grow. And God's word preached works in us that way. And it's amazing, when God's word is preached, it can do all three of these things at the same time to unbelievers and believers alike. Let's look at it this way. They're not just three aspects, but there's somewhat of a flow to them. When scriptures are explained, that should point us to Christ. And when Christ is magnified, and there's a call to respond to those truths in faith, and that leads to the believers growing. We don't jump to the end. We're just going to preach and help believers become more like Christ without the first two. There's this, this flow that builds on each other. So these are the three things that just in this sermon, the sermons and acts that we see are happening when, uh, when God's word is being preached. And from, from the big picture perspective, from the preacher's perspective, this is why. This is why we preach. We preach for these ends. When Scripture is not preached, Scriptures are not understood. They're not explained. When God's Word is not preached, Jesus is not magnified as He deserves to be. And believers are not grown and changed as they could and they should be. Uh, it, as I've been studying this week, wrapping my mind around all these things, I've, I've been very aware of these, the very high bar of what preaching should be. But what about the individual perspective? What about you as a listener? There are responses to God's word. We saw 3,000 responded in faith. It said in verse 37, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted other times, that was not the response. Another time Peter preached, temple guards arrested him. When Stephen preached, his audience covered their ears. They tried to drown him out by yelling at the top of their lungs. They dragged him out of the city and they stoned him. The philosophers in Athens sneered at Paul. The Jerusalem crowd called for his death. And Festus yelled at him, you're out of your mind, when God's word was preached. I pray for some different responses today. More along the lines, when Paul preached in a church, he was invited to preach again, and some were converted. When Peter preached to Cornelius, the, the Spirit came upon them. They were regenerated. See, the early church was not just marked by apostles and other preachers who chose to preach God's word. It was also marked by people who chose to listen to God's word being preached. To choose intentionally, willingly, and to actively listen to God's word. 
No secret formula here. The church listens to the gospel. The church preaches the gospel, and the church listens to the gospel being preached. After this sermon that Peter preached and the responses that we see of people coming in faith, verse 42 says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This sermon was not a one-time event. Got them fired up and they were good for the rest of their life. It was not a a one-time orientation for the church. And now we know what we're doing and now we're good. No, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This Greek word can be translated, they persisted. And maybe your translation uses the words, they were continually devoted, a present perfect tense. Or they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching. Whichever translation, the idea should be clear that it's a very active activity, an active responsibility to hear God's word being preached. It's not passive. When a pitcher throws a pitch to the catcher, he does not want a passive catcher. What happens when you have a passive catcher? I was never a catcher in an organized game of baseball, um, but when my sister was a pitcher for her softball team, I got to be the catcher for her practice runs. And one time we were traveling on the road, and we got out at my to, vi- to visit my aunt and uncle, and we didn't have a ball with us, but my sister wanted to pitch, so she picked up a rock. That was part of the problem. It was a rock. Um, but the other part was I was not really paying attention. I was a passive, passive catcher. I probably thought I was a good catcher, and I just really didn't need to pay attention. Um, When my sister pitched this rock, I missed it with my glove, and it went straight into my face. It chipped my tooth. You can still see on my front tooth where there's a piece missing because I was not an active receiver of that. (laughs) One other clarification, though, here. We're talking about devoting, actively listening we're talking about the apostles' teaching here in this, in this verse. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles were unique in church history. That's not necessarily equivalent to a pastor. The apostles received direct revelation from God that they then preached to others. They were eyewitnesses of the death and resurrection of Christ. So when I say devote yourself to the apostles' teaching, I'm not saying devote yourself to my teaching. Or any other pastor. Because the apostles' teaching is bound up here. Everything we need to know about the apostles' teaching is here. So the invitation as a listener is to devote yourself to the preaching of the word. Not to any one preacher, but to the preaching of the word. How do we do that? I want to give you some specific ideas of how we listen to sermons well. You might have noticed in your bulletin there's a sheet that actually has that same question or the same answers. There's some very specific suggestions there about how to listen to sermons well. And I encourage you to take more time to read some of those than we have today. Uh, The first one, though, how to listen to a sermon well, how to be a good receiver of God's word, is to come prepared. Some of the suggestions there are great. How to prepare even on Saturday night to be ready Sunday morning. One of the specific, excuse me, specific suggestions there is to read 
the passage ahead of time that will be preached that Sunday. I understand that's kind of hard to do when you don't know what that passage is going to be. Um, so that's something that, when available, we want to do a better job of, of letting you know ahead of time. Uh, sometimes we're able to plan out sermons, you know, weeks in advance, and so we can we can give you that heads up. Sometimes it doesn't always happen that way. Uh, but as a specific application of this, let me let you know. Next week, we will be preaching, I will be preaching, we will be looking at Acts chapter 2, the end of this passage, so verse 42 through 47. I know these are a lot of numbers here. If you're interested, write these down. We'll also be looking at Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32, 32 through chapter 5, verse 11. I encourage you, take time to read those. Be familiar with those. Pray over those things before you come next week, and we will look at those. But another major part of coming prepared to hear God's word preached is actually just everything we just talked about, knowing what a sermon should be, what a sermon is supposed to accomplish. When you know those things, you can come prepared to listen well. Number two, how to listen to sermons, listen actively. Like I said, listening is not a passive endeavor. Three things about that, listen to learn, listen to believe, listen to change. Let's look at those each a little bit differently. Go back to our flow chart here. If preaching is supposed to explain the scriptures, then come ready to learn. Listen to learn. To find out something you didn't know before. And it might not be what you would choose to learn. Most people don't wake up on Sunday morning ready to learn about Greek languages uh, or first century Jewish traditions. But if that's what God's word has to teach you that morning, come ready to learn, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If preaching is going to proclaim Christ and has asked you to respond in faith, then come ready to believe. Come ready to have your heart challenged, what you believe and what you think and what you want and what you value most to be challenged on a regular basis. I don't mean each Sunday that the preacher is going to ask you to be saved by proclaiming Christ. We're talking about magnifying Christ and proclaiming Christ and asking for a response to that. There's a sense in which that is a one-time thing. That any sinner needs to, at some point in their life, turn from their sin and put their faith in Christ. And if you've done that, then, then you are changed for the rest of your life. You are born again. And you don't need to go back and do that every week. That's, that's not what we're, we're calling for here. But there is a sense in which, even when we are saved... We've been made new, and the Holy Spirit has indwelled us. On a regular basis, even a weekly basis, we have to have a challenge to the things that are in our heart, the things that we believe are true, that we believe that Christ is the most glorious thing in the universe, because that's challenged throughout the week. 
we hear messages that this is what you should be spending your life on. This is what's going to make you happy for the rest of your life. Our heart tells us those lies. That this is what you should be after. And so when we magnify Christ and proclaim him, there's a call that you, again, reorient your heart and respond to that call in faith. There's a call to believe that God is good and, and wise in all that he ordains when, when our heart tells us that's not fair. There's, there's a call to deny ourselves, deny the goodness that we have, and to believe it's only Jesus that can make us who he wants us to be. Those are the calls on a regular basis to respond in faith. If we're preaching for change, then we need to listen for change. If preaching is supposed to grow the body of Christ, then listen to change. So because of what you learned and because of what you're being asked to believe, then go and do this differently. We normally think of those things as applications. Something specific, what we already mentioned. Because of what we learned from Acts chapter 2, verse 42, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, a specific application of that is you can change what you do on Saturday night so that you're prepared to devote yourself on Sunday morning. That's a specific application. Um, sometimes we might have expect the wrong things from applications, and I, I say this not as an excuse. Um, you might have already observed something I am trying to work on as a preacher is this last part. Application. Uh, I spend a lot of time on the first two explaining and magnifying Christ. And I normally am not left with a lot of time to say, and now this is something you can do differently. Um, so as I work on that, let me also encourage you that we can, also, we can look at all of these things as applications. When we are ignorant of Scripture, when there are things that we don't know about Scripture, and God's Word is preached to us and explained and we hear and we learn, that is God's Word coming into our life and applying itself. When Christ is held up and we respond to that in faith and then we, and we exchange the belief in, in Christ's righteousness for our own goodness or whatever we're called to believe that given week, that's applying itself to our heart. That's changing us. It might not always look like, and now next Tuesday you can do this differently, or now you need to start doing this in your life when you didn't before. Those are good, but that's not always how it plays out. Another thing is, I'm not smart enough to think about all the possible applications of a text that could help every one of you. Um, I, I just can't think of all those things all the possible ways that because of this truth you can live differently now. And again, I do not say that as an excuse, but I say that to highlight your role as a listener of God's word. Your role as an active listener actually means that you help apply God's word to your own life. Proverbs 22. Incline your ear, hear the words of the wise, and apply your heart to my knowledge. There's an individual responsibility to say, okay, now because of what I just heard today, what do I need to do differently? Lord willing, 
our preachers, myself included, will help you do that. We can give you examples. We can point you in the right direction. But to be an active listener of God's word means that you have to be doing that as well. We have a specific need to listen to sermons well right now in this phase of our church. Not that we didn't at other times, but in this season of life where we're having different types of preachers coming in. Uh, since Pastor Mike has left, um, I'm the fourth different person to fill the, fill the pulpit, the fourth different style of preacher. Uh, before the end of the year, we're going to have three different guys that are also going to fill the pulpit. And we want to be ready to hear them well. We want to be ready to hear what they give us, even if it's not what we're used to, even if it's not our favorite type of preaching. We want to be active listeners. Additionally, when we get to the point when we are you know, interviewing candidates and we have candidates coming and preaching, we want to hear their sermons well, evaluate them well. So on the other side of that sheet in your bulletin is a, is a guide to evaluating sermons, not just listening, but taking the next step of saying, okay, was this, a, was this a good sermon or is there some strengths and weaknesses to that? And that's important in that phase where we have candidates. But I also want to ask you to heed the warnings on that sheet, that we don't listen just as an academic exercise that we remove ourselves and just critique from afar or that we don't just listen for what makes us happy, what makes us feel good or our preferences or anything like that, but that we're listening actively and, and we're doing what God's word calls us to do. That's where we end up here when we're talking about how to listen to sermons. We get to this last one. To listen well means that we then go and do. If, if hearing a sermon ends and we walk out the door and nothing happens, then we're not hearing well. We must then go put feet to what we've heard. We must know the truths. We must believe them. Not just Sunday morning, but Monday, Tuesday. And we must do things differently when we get there. Discuss, discuss the sermons with others. Around your dinner table, even in the hallway. Uh, as much as you might already be switching gears to go home or you see someone and you think, oh, I need to talk to them about that, or as much as it might be awkward to say, hey, what did you just learn in that sermon? You will get more benefit out of God's word if it lives beyond this time here. One of the specific ways that we must go and do now is to continue to preach the gospel. The church preaches the gospel, the church listens to the gospel, and the church preaches the gospel. And what I mean by that is outside of this room, outside of Sunday morning, outside of this pulpit. Our role as witnesses, this brings us back to last week, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will be my witnesses. Our role as witnesses requires that preaching of the gospel, proclaiming the good news of Jesus happens outside of this room and outside of just a preacher preaching. Responsibility to explain God's words and proclaim the good news of Jesus and call for people to respond in faith and using God's word to grow and build believers, that's not just a pastoral responsibility. It doesn't mean that I expect you or that God's word 
expects every one of you to be able to put together a sermon outline and preach for 45 minutes. That's, that's not what I'm saying. What it means, if we're going to be witnesses of Jesus, that sometime, somewhere, to someone, we're explaining Scripture. We're helping them to see that it points to Jesus. Calling them to respond in faith. Building them into maturity in Christ. If you have a pulse and you have the Holy Spirit in you, this is your job. If you are a witness of Christ, a follower of Christ, this is all of our jobs. Christ is highly magnified in Scripture. He's magnified when we preach it, when we listen to the gospel, and then when we go and preach it again. Jesus is worthy of us doing that. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your good news. Thank you that you've given us your word, this good news. And you have helped us through the preaching of your word to understand it, to to see Christ. Thank you for your spirit that has called us to respond in faith. We thank you for your word preached that continues to build up our church. And we pray that as we are built up and grown, that you would continue to use us to witness, to proclaim this truth around us. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.